Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He had like a shrine literally in the closet of my um, personal photographs of modeling stuff that I had done, pageants. I, he had stolen stuff out of my photo album. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two of the story of Karen Newell, a former beauty queen who would later be arrested and convicted for the murder of her then-husband, John Newell. It's a crime, she says, was carried out by someone else, a man who she says was obsessed with her and wanted John out of the picture. But more on that very soon. As we know from our previous chats with the incarcerated men and women that we talk with in this show, they have the choice of taking on jobs in the prison or not. Karen is someone who does choose to work. And this particular morning that I caught up with her, she just finished a big day of manual labour at the prison. Mowing, I was picking up boulders of rocks. (laughs) Oh, wow. Name it, I was doing it. They got you on the chain gang. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like, the chain gang, for sure. So what do you do? My shoulders and lower back are killing me. Um, I, I work on a work squad. So it's pretty man, It's pretty yeah. heavy uh, manual labor. <laughs> yes, it definitely was very heavy manual labor today. So do you normally yeah. do that stuff? Yes, I mean, that's what I do. I use, I'm on um, Mo Cruz slash utility squad. I pressure wash. I paint. I buff. I I just do whatever needs to be done, whatever is required. I mean, we clean out the big light fixtures that are all over the building. I've laid um, fiber optics behind all the building that is going for the um, tablets that we have here. I I do a little bit of anything and everything. (laughs) You obviously, I know that you can either choose to work or or not. So you obviously choose to work. Is that, um, I mean, obviously, would you prefer to be doing that than doing nothing? Um, Yes. I don't like to do nothing. No, 
I've worked my whole life, so I, I don't know how to sit around and do nothing. I was actually chosen by the colonel. I've been in so long, and they've, I've worked so many different job details over the years that she said, you're the one. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. She's like, you're the one who knows how to do so many things. Matter of fact, let me have a, she took a picture of my tag and sent it to who is now my boss, uh, Sergeant Baker, and said, you know, that she would make me a part of her special squad of doing di different things, different detailed jobs that a lot of people either don't know how to do or don't want to do, mm. but take, you know, sometimes a lot of special skills, especially like what we we're doing today, we were doing, they were doing numbering on the building. So that takes, you know, a skilled hand to make sure you don't mess up the, the way the numbers are written. In our previous episode, we heard about how Karen was in and out of relationships, possibly a product of her childhood, as she says her mother would marry and divorce multiple times over the years. She'd been married and divorced herself twice and had two children with the only man that she didn't marry. Then she would meet John Newell. Am I right in saying you met John in a bar? Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. I was at a bar, matter of fact, with my one of my best friends, and she was um, was actually about to get married and move from Florida to New York. She was marrying a realtor in New York, and she was actually my hairstylist for a long time. And uh, we were there having a party, a going away party for her. And John kind of spotted me, and he was like really shy, but he came up and started speaking to me and asked me if I would dance. So I went on the dance floor and was dancing with him. Um, our party moved from that particular bar to a bar further down the road and we went to the Holiday Inn bar where there was a big uh, a dance contest. So we were going down there to watch it. And so it was really funny that he followed me. I, I didn't realize it, but at the time, he had actually followed us, our group of cars, down there. And he continued to you know, like to be very flirtatious with me and stuff and so at the end of the night, I was about probably was about two or three in the morning. We ended up going to Denny's for um, breakfast and just talked and talked and talked because he liked um, he liked to work on race cars and I love fast cars. Yeah. So that was our our communication to one another. That's what clicked with us is that we both love fast cars. So was he a mechanic? So we were just sitting there talking about it. Yes, he was. He he worked for Massey Cadillac and he was one of their top mechanics there. And um, we exchanged phone numbers, and I told him that, you know, it was really nice. I had a good time dancing with him and everything, and that, you know, I'd give him a call sometime. But um, it was he who ended up calling me from work the next day. So that's how I met him, and that's how we started out dating. Much like her other love interests, this would be another whirlwind romance. And um, he wanted to meet my kids and eventually allowed him to do so. But we, I mean, we went bowling. We just did like common things. Actually, when we first started dating, we just did like, we went to the movies. We, like I said, we, um, we went to a car show and we went to a couple restaurants like Hooters and stuff, you know, just fun stuff. Mm. 
So what what was John like as a person? And, uh, he was very um, down to earth, but shy. He had like a real shy quality to him. Like he was afraid to like maybe talk too much. <laughs> I, I have to say now looking back, but he was, um, it wasn't that he was in, in, intimidated by my um, personality, I guess, because I'm very like outgoing mm-hmm. and he was just the opposite. So I think it was like opposite to track to the point that, I overcompensated for where he, where he lacked. So was he um, a stark difference to the men that you've been involved with in the past? Um, as far as Michael, yes. Michael, who was my abuser, yes, he was totally the opposite. He was very kind and caring and a, and a really hard worker. He went to work every day at 6 a.m. and was home by 6 p.m. And um, he would usually work like every other Saturday for them. But he would also work on his friend's race car. He would help him um, put his race car together. So they did that as well. And then Sunday was like our day for me and our kid, my two children. With John, we would do something fun. Like, again, my kids love movies and going to um, Black Den. It, it was blockbusters. They would go and pick out a movie they wanted. And we would all sit around the house and eat popcorn and watch movies that the kids had chosen on the big screen TV that he had. And we just, you know, it was just like all timing, Mm. really. And it was just like we hooked up so quickly, (laughs) so to speak. And again, it wouldn't be long before the two would tie the knot. We got married in May, and I met him in early December. Right. And and we got married on a cruise ship out of Port St. Lucie. Yeah, we actually went out on a cruise ship and went all the way out we got married on the matter of fact, his best friend from work was, uh, who came with us was supposed to come with us and somehow missed the boat. And then when we got back to shore, they were there and we had just gotten married right off the cruise ship. Quite a short period of time that you guys were dating before you got married. Yes. Yes. It was, it was definitely a short period of time. It was less than six months for sure. As I've mentioned previously, Karen's story is one that was covered in the media at the time and has been the subject of documentaries including on the show Snapped. So, unlike with past interviews, I decided with this one to watch the show prior to Karen and I chatting about her story. I wanted to take some notes of claims made, dates discussed, and details of Karen's life as portrayed on the show, so that we could go through and discuss them as we talked about her story. So you will hear me reference the show through this chat. One of the many claims made on the show was that Karen was supposedly pregnant soon after her and John became married. But Karen says this is definitely not true. I don't know where they ever got that, but no, I was never pregnant. Okay. We'll talk about that a bit more when we actually get to the incident because they really make a, yeah. a point of that. Yeah, matter of fact, my, um, my second oldest sister was so angry when she heard that in the news that she called up and really like basically cussed out the media for making up lies like that. Yeah. Yeah, she was really, my sister Teresa was really angry for some reason that they kept trying to pounce on that. Like, well, well, they certainly do make a big deal And again, it. it was all media. Yeah, the media basically just threw that out there, trying to say I was pregnant at the scene of the crime. I'm like, I'm not pregnant. Yeah, yeah. I was wearing a bikini. No, I'm definitely not pregnant. So again, in this particular show, they talk about Karen telling John that she'd been given a big break on a TV show and that it meant she would leave town for extended periods of time. 
Now, it does seem to be an odd thing to focus on because they don't seem to be making any suggestions that Karen was being unfaithful to John, as they even make a point of having some of the guests on the show discuss how Karen and John had a very healthy sex life. Nonetheless, I checked this with Karen, and she says again this is not true, and she was never out of town for long periods of time. So what were you doing for work while you were married to John? Um, At the time, I was still working at Universal Studios, and I was still just doing um, side jobs for modeling. So they say in the show that um, you told John that you had a a TV job and it meant you flying out of town um, for reasonably lengthy periods of time. No, that never happened. And, I mean, the only show that I went on was what it was called What's Hot TV, and it was right behind Universal Studios, and John went there several times with me. Mm. It never required me to leave out of town. Mm. It was right there in Orlando. On the morning of February 20th, Karen and John jump in the car and drive an hour east from Orlando to the beach, a place called Cocoa Beach, to spend the day. After a day at the beach, Karen and John then head home. On the way back, they would grab some food and then stop off at a surf shop to pick up some things for Karen's daughter. Karen's driving as John had had a few beers that day. Just past a toll booth, there seems to be an issue with the car after Karen hit some debris on the road. So they pull over to the side to take a look. John hops out of the vehicle while Karen remains inside the car. While sitting there on the side of the road, a set of car headlights appears behind them. Karen would tell police that three men were in the car. One gets out and tries to rob John. The altercation ends in the man shooting John multiple times. They then jump back in the car and drive off. Karen says this is the story that she initially tells police, but admits to me that it is not what happened. I'm stupidly sitting there saying that I think it was some guys that just they came out of a car and, and pulled over and tried to hold us up. And that was my fault. I mean, I'm not going to take resp- full responsibility for that. I definitely should have never made up a lie like that because of fear. So what really happened on that day? And why did Karen lie? Well, before we hear all of that, we first have to introduce a new character into the story. The man that would later become Karen's co-defendant in the murder of her husband. Peter P.J. Giffen. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So when was the first time you met him? I was actually um, going out to um, the Keys. I was actually coming back from the Keys. I had been down there on a photo shoot trying to... um, you know, make some money at that particular photo shoot. It was from a swimwear um, company. And as I was coming back up, I was in my Trans Am GTA, which it has no T-tops. And so while I was coming down the highway, you know, I had my bathing suit top on and my shorts because, you know, I'd been at the beach. And as I was coming down, PJ and a, and a group of his friends were in a car. And basically, they were like, they saw the handcuffs on my rearview mirror, and he started pointing to them, like, you know, making suggestions, like, you know, hey, you want to cuff me? Kind of like, you know, in the window. And that's how I met him, was like on that turnpike. As I got off that turnpike, I went into the gas station and was getting ready to fill up. And make a long story short, he got, he was right there. He followed me, I guess, into that gas station area. The rest, well, not gas station, it was rest area where you can get gas at. And that's how I, I, he introduced himself to me. He's like, so what's with the handcuffs? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, can you cuff me up? And I'm like, no, I'm not a cop. <laughs> I'm not cuffing you up. I said, those were from my, my former husband. Those are his uh, handcuffs that he gave me. And, you know, we just got into a conversation, but it was, like, very liminal. Again, this documentary that talks about Karen's story says that Karen and PJ met exactly how Karen has just related to us. However, they say that Karen and PJ then that day would hang out, have a few drinks, and begin an affair. To which Karen says, it's just not true. No. No, we didn't end up having any drinks because I don't drink alcohol. Right. Um, only thing I've ever drank basically is a wine cooler or, or or mild wine. I'm not a big drinker, so we wouldn't have been drinking. There's also, um, there's also just suggestions that he was um, your assistant? Assistant, like what? Like as in worked for you? No, never. He was working as a, a, a plate glass person. He was putting up um, plate glasses and, and buildings and, and different things like that with his best friend. Yeah, right. So you never I mean, had, you never had a relationship with him? When he, he, not in that format, no. Eventually, believe it or not, PJ would move in to the spare room at Karen and John's house. Karen says that one day PJ just shows up at their home answering a room for rent ad that she'd placed. And after that time, he came and 
it's like he pursued me constantly from that day on. It's like somehow he found out where I was from. I guess from my, my license place tag, he had his um, uncle and grandfather owned some kind of dealership in Fort St. Lucie. And somehow he looked up my information and then came to, and showed up on my doorstep in Orlando one day. And I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> if you were to listen to what they're saying, you guys had this sordid affair and that you, you know, he, you guys were dating for a, for a long time. And uh, No, he gave me this old song and dance when he first came to Orlando that his sister worked for one of the big radio stations there and that she wouldn't let him crash there. He was having problems with his dad at home and he didn't want to live there anymore and that he, um, I had... I had actually had put an ad in the paper for somebody to rent out one of the rooms in our house to help with the, with the mortgage payments. And so he came and he answered that ad. When he came, I didn't even, it didn't even click to me that this is the same guy I just met on the highway. Cause I mean, he didn't make that great of an impression on me that day, but he ended up his whole story of trying to be here in Orlando was the fact that his sister worked at the radio station and, and, until one of her roommates moved out, he couldn't move in with them. Could he rent the room for $50 a week? And that's how he became a part of my life. So Karen and John allow PJ to rent their spare room. Karen's saying that PJ and John even started hanging out a fair amount. How did it go to start yeah. with? Was it fine? It was actually, you know, because the fact that John was like such a loner, it's like he had the one friend that he, you know, went and worked on his race cars with, but that was it. John didn't have a lot of friends. And when PJ moved in and then Louie was hanging out there too, it's like they all three would go take off and play pool and drink beers together. So it's like he finally found some male bonding. So what they did when they were out at the pool hall or whatever, I will never know because I was always back at the house. But that's where how they bonded. I mean, it's like he was building a relationship with John for whatever his reasoning were. Okay. I feel like he was like trying to lay the foundations to, to weasel his way in. Karen's eventual defence regarding having nothing to do with the murder of her husband would be to say that PJ acted alone. She believed that he was obsessed with her and wanted John out of the picture, and that he in fact even supposedly had a shrine to her hidden in his room. Did PJ ever try and proposition you while you were living together? Because obviously the first time you met, he, he tried to do that. So had he ever tried to do that again? Um, yes, he did. He did on quite a few occasions. And, you know, I always made it real clear to him that, PJ, I'm married. And he's like, well, it doesn't, you don't have to be. And, you know, and I, and I think about all these statements now that he made back then, like, why didn't I just put two and two together what he was really up to? I mean, obviously, he had motive for wanting to get close to me because he seemed to think that I'd lived this really glamorous life because I went to these photo shoots, I made a lot of these commercials and things, and he just, I mean, he sensationalized. I'll tell you one thing that's really creepy, Jack, that the media also doesn't know about, is that the room that we rented to him, he had like a shrine literally in the closet of my um, personal photographs of modeling stuff that I had done, pageants. I, he had stolen stuff out of my photo albums and had them put up in that room, in the closet. See, I never went in his room because he had he had a key to that room. That was his personal room he paid for. 
So I would have never thought to have gone in the closet. Yeah, right. But he had a weird, I mean, there was even like three candles in there. Like he was like having a shrine to my photographs. So it was like a stalker living within my own home. <laughs> it was, yes. So, so no. So it's at, not what the media try, has always tried to make it out to be. So at any time, obviously when he's probably... To me, he was just a paying person. Yeah. So, but when he tried to, to crack onto you, like, did you not feel uncomfortable and kind of go, you know what, I think this is not going to work out, you need to leave? Yes, and that's what, and that is ultimately what happened is that we threw him out of the house because I, um, I caught him smoking um, drugs and I didn't want that around my kids. And I said, PJ, you have to leave. You, you, you can't stay here no more. You got to go to your sisters or whatever you got to do, but you got to move out. I mean, you, you haven't paid me in two weeks and obviously the job that you claim that you because I had went to his job when he didn't pay us the, the one week and had found out that he had been fired and he hadn't told us that so I, I clicked on real quick to him so to answer your question he did get I did throw him out and she says they started getting the feeling that he was taking advantage of them and apparently even found out sometime later that he was stealing some of John's tools to pay for drugs At any stage, did John get um, other, before obviously you guys asked him to leave, did John ever sort of come to you and say, look, uh, I'm not happy with this arrangement? Um, actually, he never did. I mean, I, he should have, but he didn't. And I, I think maybe at one point, like towards the end, he was starting to feel like, like again, like PJ was possibly taking advantage of us, especially like using our car when we didn't, you know, we had always had an extra set on the um, front door, we had like a little keypad and we kept the keys to the house and the cars there. And we came back one day and the Trans Am was gone and PJ made up all these excuses about, oh, well, you know, I had to drop my, my truck off to be fixed and uh, I needed to get to work when he was looking for drugs. We found out, all of this was found out later. But yeah, so we kind of like were upset that he just felt like he could just take our vehicle without phoning one of us on the cell phone and saying, I need to borrow the vehicle and I uh, hope you don't mind or is it okay? Yeah. He didn't do any of that. And then, you know, John started noticing that things were missing out of his garage, you know, cause John was a mechanic and he had like some really expensive tools with snap on tools. I believe is what his box was called back then. And things started coming at missing. Well, you know, again, lifetime later, we find out that PJ was actually going and selling these things for drugs and selling them either in Orlando or he would just go joyriding in Port St. Lucie and get rid of them through his buddies that he grew up with. Yeah, right, he okay. Was, he definitely was setting us up for the kill. Yeah. <laughs> he was definitely setting us up for the kill in more ways than one. So Karen talks me through what she says actually happened that day. Um, what had happened is that PJ was supposed to be in court down in the Keys for some traffic violation that he had done and so we all went over to coco beach because he was going to take the car that he had and go down from there down supposedly to the keys but he said oh i'll catch up with y'all later i got to go meet my attorney so john and i didn't think too much about it we're like okay so john and i took off in the the gta which was the chair and we went over to coco beach which was right behind the holiday aisles there and, you know, we were just having a good time sitting on the beach, 
John was drinking um, beer. I was sitting there drinking wine coolers. And um, we were just, you know, enjoying the beach day. And then here comes PJ. He shows up later. And we're like, okay, where'd you come from? <laughs> Thought you were going to meet your your uh, attorney. He's like, oh, yeah, I took care of everything. Everything's lined up. I'm going to leave tomorrow. Da, 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 da. So we noticed that he wasn't acting right. So I said to John, well, let's go ahead and go to Sonny's so we can eat before we, we go back to the house before it gets dark. So we all take off when we go to Sunny's Barbecue, which was right there at Cocoa Beach, right on the Strip. So we go and we eat and everything, and everything seemed like it was fine. And then we hit um, Ron John's Surf Shop, I believe is what it's called. And I wanted to pick up T-shirts for my kids because my, my daughter said if I ever went over there, I was supposed to pick her up a T-shirt. Mm. So I ended up buying her T-shirts and bought some little bumper stickers for her, her um, bike and stuff. So we we got those things, and I noticed I was, like, watching PJ out in the corner of my eye, and I'm watching him, and I was like, he's acting odd. Like, again, I didn't know at the time that he was really high. So I'm like, I saw him stuff stuff in his shirt, and I'm like, so I go over and I tap him on the shirt. I'm like, PJ, really? I said, why are you stealing? I said, you're going to get us all in trouble. I mean, come on now. There's cameras in here. He's like, man, don't worry about it. I do this all the time. So he was like, he like flipped me off and, and gave me attitude and stormed out of the store and jumped in the car and, and took off. So John's like, well, let's follow him because, you know, he's in our, he's in our spare car and, you know, that's all we need is for him to get pulled over. So I take off and um, I'm driving. John's in the passenger side because he'd been drinking beer and I just had the one wine cooler, so I wasn't affected really. So as we were getting up to the toll booth, um, I'm flashing the lights at PJ like to slow down because he was he was weaving in and out of traffic and again we were afraid that he was going to get pulled over in our our secondary vehicle. So he get he um, he gets to the toll booth and he like points back at me like you know I don't have no money. So so I tell the lady I got this. So I I put the money in and I said that that's our other vehicle. I said I got this ma'am and I give her money for the toll booth and as we're going through the toll booth. All of a sudden, um, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to what he's doing as I'm coming through the toll booth area. Somehow I hit um, like a piece of rubber, like from a tire that, had, you know, like how you see pieces of rubber that other yeah, cars yeah, from trucks or have like blown off their tire or something. Yeah. So I, I got up under my car and because the Trans Am rides so low, it was like, so as this happens, there's a turnoff right there off to 520, which is the back way to our house, to Orlando. So I start pulling off that way and to ease off because John's like, pull over so I can, you know, see what's caught up under the vehicle. So we pull off and of course PJ is now behind us. So he's got, he's like blinding me with the vehicle's lights. So I'm like trying to turn the rear view mirror so the lights are not blinding me. And I can't get out because it's a two-way highway right there. It's, like, really tight. There's, like, just a drop-off. So John gets off, gets out on his side, and he's going to walk back to look at the back of the tire. And as he's looking back at the back of the tire, PJ is now exiting the vehicle. So I didn't think anything really of it. I'm thinking, well, they're both going to look at the tire. So John leans down and is looking at the tire, and then all of a sudden I hear pop, 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 pop. And I'm like, what the hell was that? So I'm like 
like trying to get out now. I'm waiting for the semi to go by so that I can get out on my side of the vehicle. And as I'm getting out, PJ is then getting into his into the vehicle, and he takes off and leaves me there with John's body shot. So I'm like totally freaking out. I'm, I hit the trunk because that's where my cell phone and all my purse and everything was because that's where I put it before we went on the beach. So I go in there and I pop it. I get my my phone out and I'm over there and I'm trying to um, see if John has a pulse and stuff. And I'm calling 911. I'm and I'm like calling, dialing, dialing, and I'm I'm not getting any reception. So I start moving out like into the right in the lane of traffic actually, and I'm trying to get a signal. So I'm just dialing, and then I'm finally I'm like trying to flag somebody down because there was hardly nobody on the road, and I finally get somebody to stop. And then the guy's like, he doesn't want to roll down his window because he sees John laying there, and he's like, um, "What's wrong?" And I said, "My husband's been shot. Can you please help me um, get 911? I can't get it on my phone." So the guy's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll go, go, I'll go, I'll go." So he takes off. This guy takes off and leaves me sitting there still, and I'm like, "Oh my God, nobody's helping me." So finally, I get a signal, and it was like out of nowhere. Here's a helicopter. Here's um, all types of um, rescue squads coming, and it's like everybody just showed up at once. You have one minute remaining. Gosh, how fast this time goes by. I know, it flies, it really does. Um, okay, all right, great. Well, did, you, did you want to call me back today or do you want to do tomorrow? What, do you, how, what, what would you like to do? Um, well, count time because this is the weekend. And that's all we've got time for this episode. But coming up next time, the man that Karen says shot and killed her husband is in her home while police are there interviewing her about what had happened. Did PJ ever get in touch with you or try and contact you in those in those days? Yeah, PJ was there within the hour after it happened. He came right back to the house. He was right there with our vehicle. And with the detectives there he as came well? Right up to the, in the house. Yeah. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted, and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network.